the theatrical push for this one has been very, very nil. Like, are there a lot of screens in LA showing it? There's a there's a fair number. Uh, I think Netflix is still trying to figure out how they want to make that work for themselves. Yeah, because I don't I don't think they really want to drive people per se to the theater if they if they expect subscribers to watch it themselves. Sure. Uh, but at the same time, you have filmmakers who really do want people to be able to see it in the theater if they can. So it's it's a delicate balancing act, I think, for them. Yeah, especially with, you know, I think it's I think it's dropping on Netflix on the 24th. So I think this is probably a real stay home on Christmas Day and watch this instead of going to the theater idea. So maybe they're not as keen on getting people in to see. And, and you know, I'll, I'll kind of spoil my thoughts on I, I don't think this is a movie that people need to see in theaters personally um i'm <laughs> i have a different i yeah i don't know i i well i mean most people are almost no one is gonna see it in a theater yeah for sure yeah i think i just saw like i know netflix doesn't report numbers but i think the 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 number they've thrown out that it may have made opening weekend was like seven hundred thousand. so you know Clearly, that's not not a big consideration. I mean, box office really hasn't been a big consideration for them in general. But for a a star-studded ensemble movie like this that costs like seventy five million to make, that's not you know that's not a that's not numbers you want to see. But it's Netflix, so they don't care. Are we are we in the, are we in the show or what, what's that? Yeah, no, we're in the show. Uh, hello and welcome to Chasing Chalamet, a formerly biweekly podcast. Now a podcast that comes out if and when we get new Timothy content, where I, Dane McDonald, uh, c- confirmed Timothy Thirst Machine, and mostly functioning pop culture addict and a special guest deep dive into the filmography of the Oscar-nominated actor Timothy Hal Chalamet. On today's episode, we are going to be talking about Adam McKay's 2021 satirical science fiction question mark comedy don't look up we're going to cover our thoughts our feelings any critiques or praise we may have whatever we want to say about this new netflix release uh then we're going to discuss timothy's performance in the film what function does he serve to the story is he cast well what does his participation in this film bring to the table then on a scale from one to five peaches we're going to together grade the film in different categories Uh, We're going to grade the quality of the film, Timothy's performance, his general attractiveness, and most importantly, as always, his hair, which that will be a very fun topic to cover with this one. I'm very excited to introduce today's guest. He is the senior entertainment writer for Variety. He's a frequent guest on the Screen Draft podcast, uh, where he was my former competitive collaborator on the infamous six-hour Pixar Mega Draft. Please welcome to Chasing Chalamet, Adam Beveri. Hi, Adam. Hello. Hi. How are you guys doing? Doing well. How are you? How are things out on the West Coast? Things are okay. They're a little cool to cold here for us Los Angelinos. It's been in the 50s and 40s for a while and a lot more rain than we are used to, which is very exciting. <laughs> uh, and, and weirdly feels more like Timothy Chalamet weather to me. Like he feels like he's a sort of like a, a a good heavy jacket, grayer day, a little bit of rain kind of kind of guy. So it sure. feels more appropriate for this podcast, really. Yeah, truly. Yeah, he's got definitely like the flannel, beanie, corduroy jacket vibes as opposed to like, you know, I don't really see him like hanging out on Santa Monica Pier at the beach. Like I think, you know, he 
I wouldn't say he's like pasty translucent, but he's definitely on the fairer side of white. Yes. So yeah, I would agree. The the, the typical fall weather. He can be pretty ghost like sometimes. If, if sure. Like, he he yeah. He's a little. A little he's a little. Yeah, I th- I think the internet loves to kind of talk about his like Victorian plague survivor aesthetic that he can that he can carry often. <laughs> so I think there was a tweet that went around recently that was like an old Victorian shoe from like the 1800s, and it was like, why does this shoe remind me of Timothy Chalamet? And of course, the internet was like a million likes and five million retweets. <laughs> um, but yes, agree. He he is he is fall aesthetic through and through. Um, so Adam, yes. we were talking a little bit about this before we kind of jumped on Mike, but I, I'm curious to hear about your theatrical experience seeing Don't Look Up, because I had contacted you about being on this episode, uh, you were happy to oblige, um, knowing that it's going to be coming out on Netflix, um, imminently, but knowing we were going to record this before the holidays, so we had the task of seeing Don't Look Up in theaters, so I'm curious to hear how that experience was. It was it was wild because uh, I went to a, I saw it in a theater at the Alamo Draft House, which uh, opened up uh, a while back, two weeks ago. What is time in a pandemic? <laughs> but it opened up a, a while ago downtown. Uh, it's our first Alamo Draft House in L.A. But when I went, it was a uh, matinee during the week, and. Uh, I was the only person in the theater. So it was just me, uh, my server, my hamburger and drink and uh, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence screaming at people about the end of the world. Um, So I got my own little private screening. Yeah, I mean, part of me kind of loves that. How was seeing it? You know, obviously, we'll we'll dive into your thoughts and and feelings on the quality of the film. But like, was this a a movie you liked seeing on your own? Or would you have preferred like a big rollicking crowd it was interesting because it was sort of like a hybrid of of seeing the movie in the theater but also seeing it in the in the way that almost the entire majority of people will see it which is on netflix so i i could pull up my phone and check in on email for a little bit i was taking Mm -hmm. a a comp day on from work so uh i was dipping into email just a little bit here and there uh which is not something you do normally when you go to a movie in the theater. At least you shouldn't. And especially at the Alamo, they really shame you publicly if you do. But because I was the only <laughs> one there, I, I, I felt the liberty to do it. Um, the thing about that movie, I, the thing about Don't Look Up is it is it is using the rhythms and writing of a big screen comedy to tell a devastating dramatic story and through satire so on the one hand you might think that seeing it in a room full of people would add to the comedy because you know comedy is often better when you're surrounded by people laughing with you but i don't know if it would have felt I don't know how it would have felt if i'd been surrounded by people laughing or not pointedly not laughing at some of the comedy beats, as I use scare quotes, that are really sort of designed to have the appearance of being funny, but I don't think intentionally so. I don't think they're actually supposed to be funny. So it's this sort of weird mix of an experience 
that most people are going to be having on their couches with like maybe you know other people that they live with but um and that will have its own sort of weird feelings too so it was i i mean sort of spoiler alert for my overall feelings i thought it was a very effective film mostly and by the end the sort of lonely feeling of being in the theater by myself was was i think effective in helping to drive home what the movie was trying to do interesting yeah i i totally hear you on the it's almost like you got the ideal netflix experience because you're kind of seeing it on your own or to whatever extent there's only a few people there when you're at home but you got to see it on a big screen with the alamo draft house sound and the picture and all that so you kind of got the best of both worlds a little bit um as i i was saying i saw it with um our producer and editor will uh and my boyfriend in a pretty you know it was it was it was in a packed theater um but there was it was a fair amount of people there and it kind of felt like uh there were definitely times when maybe we were the only ones laughing but then there were definitely times where people were laughing but yeah it's kind of that it's hard to i think that there's enough i don't want to say broad strokes comedy in this movie to be laugh out loud funny but it's almost that like it's almost that like doom scrolling Twitter mentality of we're going to make jokes about this horrible thing because there's no other way to process it. Yeah. Was kind of the experience I had. It, it's definitely that that's the vibe. Uh, right. Like the sort of doom scrolling comedy vibe for sure. Well, before we dig in too, too much into the film, which I'm super excited to do with you. Um, curious to know kind of you know both in your your life as someone who writes in the entertainment world uh and as just a personal you know viewer of films like kind of where do you sit with the timothy chalamet of it all and please don't feel pressure to answer that question um knowing you're talking to timothy chalamet fans because one of the things i'm i'm very proud of on the show is this we're not here just to be timothy simps like i want to talk about when his movies are bad, I want to talk about when his performances are less than stellar. So don't feel any pressure. I'm I'm just curious what your background is on on our our golden twink here at Chasing Chalamet. So my first exposure to Timothy Chalamet, I believe, was his run on Homeland. I believe season two as mm-hmm. the vice president's entitled son. I and I actually recapped that season when I was working at Entertainment Weekly. I should have, in preparation for this, gone back and looked up if I'd written anything about Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> uh, so that was my first exposure to him. And what I do remember at the time was thinking he did a perfectly lovely job of playing an entitled teenage kid. Um, and he looked very skinny and sort of wounded, is my sort of memory. <laughs> and then... Uh, I gather he was in the movie Men, Women, and Children, which I did see, but that movie was such a wah, wah, wah disappointment that I don't really remember much about it. Um, I'm just looking at his his CV here. Um, I obviously saw him in Understellar. I think the thing that really, you know, the thing that really first made the strongest impression on me was Call Me By Your Name. I think I, you know, anything else that I'd seen him in, he was, you know, his part was not significant enough to sort of make an impression one way or the other. I do. I loved that book, the novel. And Mm -hmm. I when I realized that they were making it into a movie, 
and they had cast him, I remember thinking, oh, okay, that could be interesting. Like I'd seen enough of him that I was like, that's a that's an interesting sort of decision to sort of like, you know, catapult him into, you know, the the um into a, a new echelon of of fame. Um and then I thought he was astonishing in that movie. Just absolutely mm-hmm. just heartbreakingly perfect in that role. Um and was very very taken with it. And then my my most sort of immediate connection to Timothy Chalamet is every year, well, pre-pandemic, every year the nominees for the Academy Awards are invited to a special luncheon where mm-hmm. they all get together and they sit at different tables and they mix the tables. So it's like you've got a best director sitting next to a best sound design, sitting next to a best costume design. Like they're all kind of intermixed and intermixed in that are members of the Academy and then select members of the press. And so when I was at BuzzFeed News, that was one of the things I covered. You know, and the fun thing is you show up and it's just it's just lousy with insanely famous people just packed into the Beverly Hilton ballroom. And so, you know, I was there and I had a little Twitter thread growing going where I was taking photos and and you know, posting sightings and whatnot. And I was sitting at my table And I looked over and I saw Meryl Streep and Timothy Chalamet together. This was the year of Call Me By Your Name. This was the year that he was nominated for that. And Meryl Streep was uh, what what, she had her arm sort of around his back in a very sort of like um, motherly way. And she was sort of walking him from like table to table. And it really looked like a, this is Timothy Chalamet and he would like to meet you. And, <laughs> and it really had that vibe. And so I tweeted something like it, it's it like, and then, and then it sort of like, it was like maybe like 90 seconds of that. And then, and then they got pulled into different directions or something. So I saw that and I didn't have time to take a picture of it before it, it, it walked away. So I took, I tweeted something like Timothy, it, this was so cute. Meryl Streep was showing Timothy Chalamet, and I added him. So it was like whatever his sort of RD real Chalamet or whatever it is uh, on Twitter, at, like he's his mother, and it was so adorable. Like walking around <laughs> introducing people like she's his mother. Well, Timothy Chalamet retweeted that. And so my mentions were a disaster, a fun disaster, <laughs> but a disaster for weeks. And even to this day, every so often, basically, for there was a period of time because Timothy Chalamet doesn't tweet very much at all. So there was a good few, like half a year, where anytime anything Timothy Chalamet tweeted anything, people would go to his profile, scroll down a couple tweets, see mine, and like and retweet it. So every time he did anything, I would get more activity. It was it's one of the most sort of engaged with tweets I've ever tweeted. And uh, so I feel like I am bonded with Timothy Chalamet and Meryl Streep for the rest of my <laughs> for the rest of my life. That's my Chalamet journey. That is insane. I mean, and just to know, I mean, obviously, like I just, it, it, from your from your perspective on it, it's almost like she was anointing him 
into, as you said, like these upper echelons of celebrity and actor and, you know, thinking about it from that perspective, she's someone who is both like known to the masses and like the most critically accolade adored actress ever. So it's almost like she's putting her like touch of approval on Timothy and, and, you know, escorting him around as like the new, the new prince uh, of Hollywood. And, you know, just to know they would go on to star in Little Women and the the movie we're talking about today, Don't Look Up, um, is just, uh, yeah. just a, a total treat. Um, though they don't share any screen time. They, they do share screen yeah. time in Little Women, but they don't share any screen time and Don't Look Up. On to, on to the movie. Um, to give a little background for me on the Adam McKay of it all, and I'm curious yeah. to hear your thoughts as well, Adam. Um, he's not a filmmaker, you know, I, I, part, part of being, you know, part of the, the Timothy army, if you will, is like, one of the things I get really excited for is like when he's working with new filmmakers or filmmakers that he's talked about, or, you know, he's worked with Greta Gerwig twice. So obviously, and now, you know, next year, his second feature with Luca Guadagnino, who directed Call Me By Your Name, will be coming out. So it's, it's fun when he reunites with people and works with new directors. Um... Adam McKay was not high on my Timothy, Timothy, please work with this person list. And that's not for any sort of like negative reason. Um, I don't have a super either high opinion or opinion at all on a lot of McKay's earlier comedy work. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Anchorman. Uh, I never saw Talladega Nights. But when he kind of made the jump into Adam McKay serious filmmaker trademark um i obviously is someone who follows the oscars and follows you know uh award season you know i saw the big short thought it was perfectly fine um didn't love it but enjoyed it for what it was and then it gets nominated for a bunch of awards i think he wins the oscar for uh i want to say adapted screenplay i think that was based on a book um i think he did you're right and I'm like, okay, yeah, cute, good for him. Uh, then obviously he directs the pilot for Succession, which is one of my favorite TV shows, which that's kind of an interesting case because I feel like even though he did the pilot and I know the, the, the director of the pilot has a really big influence on the tone of the show, I don't think of Succession as like an Adam McKay uh, piece of art, even though he's a executive producer on it. So it's kind of an outlier, at least in my opinion. I think it has... I. I, I would I would have agreed with you until I saw Don't Look Up. I think between okay, the Big Short, Vice, and Don't Look Up, there's a certain sort of brand of satirical drama that he is starting to try to carve out for himself that feels like, in some ways, Succession is the more refined version of it. Uh, <laughs> and and yeah, uh, and. You know, he. You're right. He doesn't have much, I think, of a role anymore in the creation of it. Although I still think he's um, on hand for creative input there. That's more mm-hmm. of a Jesse Armstrong joint. But uh, but I do think that. I mean, personally, from my perspective, that like he's he is uh, he is sort of pivoting from being the sort of like Will Ferrell, you know, high concept comedy bro comedy kind of guy to this sort of more sharper edged satirist of, and, and he's also, I feel like in some ways, one of the only filmmakers who's trying to make movies about what is going on in the world right now. Um, I think so many filmmakers are stuck in a sort of like, you know, there's that thing of how many directors have not made a movie set in the time period after 
smartphones. And, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, whereas it seems like Adam McKay only wants to make movies that are, you know, very directly tied to or, or very closely, you know, tied to like recent history or immediate history as far as like what's going on in the world today. Sure. For me, like I said, the big short enjoyed it. You know, I don't didn't spend too much time thinking about it afterward. Vice was a movie that I would consider to be a really big swing and is enjoyable for the most part. But a lot of it I found to be heavy handed. And I only bring that up in the sense that it seems like some of the reaction to this movie is the same. I think kind of the consensus being there's a lot to like, but it's really heavy handed. And it kind of sounds like from what you've said so far that you you enjoyed it. And I I I. I don't want to like it's I wouldn't say it's one of like the best movies I've seen this year, but just kind of going in with these tampered expectations of knowing, you know, Adam McKay really hits the nail on the head when it comes to satire. Um, Obviously, he's addressing something that's super important to him. You know, Leonardo DiCaprio is known as a climate activist. This is such clearly a metaphor for climate change. I kind of was ready to roll my eyes and I genuinely found myself enjoying the film from that perspective. Did you have that experience? I did too. I think Vice was a movie I didn't ultimately care for because I felt every character was a cartoon character. It like the, the, the every character had quotation marks around them and and you know the performances the actors were all deeply invested in those in in delivering the performances they were asked to deliver with a certain degree of verisimilitude. But ultimately I just found it to be like a very it was clearly there's a lot of passion and anger behind the movie which i always admire in a filmmaker but i just felt like the approach felt very much like i'm not watching human beings interact i'm watching a sort of very very arch cartoony version of all of these people and i ultimately found that less than illuminating whereas the thing that I so I walked into Don't Look Up expecting a lot of the same. You know, you look at Meryl Streep in those images and in the as this president and as and in the trailers, and you're expecting a sort of buffoonish person um, who is sort of an active, aggressive idiot, which we've recently had as our president. But I was kind of dreading the idea of having to kind of suffer through watching a bunch of idiots not pay attention to the two smart people. I just, that felt like an out of balance movie and not particularly illuminating as satire, but that wasn't my experience with the film. I thought, you know, there, yes, there is a great deal of, of superficiality among a lot of the characters, but they're given more dimension and, um, and allowed for, you know, they just felt more real to me. And that made the message of the movie more effective, I think. I agree. I think, too, you know, you you brought up Meryl Streep kind of playing this obviously Trumpian type president. You have, you know, Kate Blanchett playing this, you know, Fox News kind of equivalent of uh i think the the words people have been using for her is like she's like the yesification of a fox news host which i guess is probably already yesified anyway um and you then you kind of have the other side is like the leonardo dicaprio character 
uh, Professor Mindy, and then you have Kate, Jennifer Lawrence's character, and there's kind of this balance between the the um, over-the-top characters and then these kind of more grounded, this is what's actually happening, we need to talk about what's going on. And then watching the Leo character kind of go between those two, you're right, I think when it came to Vice, we're watching performances and we're watching caricatures we're not watching people and there's enough real three-dimensional humans in this movie that when there are these over-the-top characters we're not inundated with that kind of weight and then even even those over-the-top characters are given interiors that are really interesting um for me almost Kate Blanchett like was the performance of the movie because she gets to choose scenery and be campy and I I think one of the things I said coming out of it was like she really was in her like Tilda Swinton and train wreck bag like that very like she definitely oh she definitely had that vibe I I I thought you know what I liked about it though was she could have been playing uh a sort of Fox News like empty head but but it was sort of like Fox News meets Diane Sawyer like she speaks multiple languages she has advanced degrees and there was a sort of like subtle not well, not that subtle, but there was a there, there was a clear sort of like connection to this idea of how often and frequently we dumb ourselves down to smooth out to make ourselves more appealing in a to to the rest of the world, whether you're enormously famous mm-hmm. or just a normal person. And so I I liked that 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 she was not just some sort of idiot that she was, um that she was somebody who had made choices with her abilities. And that is something that makes made, made everything else much more, I could just connect to it all better, I think. And I think too, and, and obviously, you know, we're going to be talking spoilers here. Um, but something I, I commented on too was um, coming out of it was thinking about um, there's no way for me to sympathize with a character more than have them played by Melanie Linsky. So having, (laughs) having Leo cheat on Melanie Linsky with Kate Blanchett, um, I was just like immediately on team Melanie Linsky and the scene where they come back to the hotel and she's there, you would think like in a, in a, a, a dumber script or a less fleshed out character, like the Kate Blanchett character would have been more like defensive and flustered, but she had this like poise and this, I think she has like a line where she's like, can we just like skip over yeah. this part where like it's awkward and weird? Like, I just thought that was so smart and just was like, because going into the movie, knowing Kate Blanchett's going to be playing this, like you said, Fox News meets Diane Sawyer character. I'm like, that's such a, a weird role for her. But then to insert that um, dimensionality into it was just so smart. And I felt like each character got that little piece of humanity. Actually, it's something I think about a lot with Greta, with Greta Gerwig's filmmaking, because there's always like, no matter how small the character is, there's always these beats and these moments where you can tell she cares about each individual character, um, which is not a thought I would think I would have about an Adam McKay ensemble dramedy. That's not a a quality that Adam McKay has evinced a great deal um, in in his prior work. (laughs) Uh, You know, it's, uh, you know, and I also, but it's interesting you bring up the Melanie Linsky character because that honestly that was in some ways my biggest com- frustration with the movie. And again, spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen it, but the comet actually you know hits the planet, and um, and <laughs> right when and and there's a lot of 
things that happen in between that sort of further illuminate the satire that we might get into. But, you know, at the very end, after there's been that big confrontation scene, the next time you see Melanie Linsky is when Leonardo DiCaprio is coming back to the, his home with sort of the other characters that we've been following the most sort of in tow, including Timothy Chalamet, which we'll get to in a second, um, I think. <laughs> and uh, to sort of like basically ask her to take him back. And yes, it's the end of the world, but I found that scene to be one of the true false notes of the entire movie because we've because it's only rooted in Leonardo DiCaprio's point of view. Like we, it's only cares about his sort of revelation of, of how he had gone astray and the movie, like throughout the sort of third second act, when he is sort of letting himself be kind of take swept up by his celebrity and swept up by his position, proximity to power. And he's totally absent from his family's life. We're checking in with all of these other characters throughout the throughout the movie, but we never at some point we sort of leave Melanie Linsky and his sort of very like teenage early twenties sons, and mm-hmm. I kept being like, "What? what is, how do they feel about this? Their dad's suddenly super famous, but he's not around anymore. It seems clear that he's stepping out on other mom because he's with this anchor woman so often." I thought that there was a bit of a blind spot there as far as like the the movie could have been a little bit richer if we'd had more texture as to what actually how Melanie Linsky was feeling about everything as she was going through the whole process. And then to then cut from I hate you, here are your pills, never like I I I goodbye forever to okay, yeah, it's the end of the world, so come on in. I just it, it didn't that didn't mm-hmm. quite track for me, I guess. Um yeah, like I was in, like I was like wondering if the comet was actually going to hit the planet, and so I had conflict in how I felt about all of that. But because it ultimately did, I sort of went back on that scene and really fell for like the emotion that happened. And and I we're going to get to the Timothy of it all, but before we get to that, I would be remiss if I didn't bring up it. Really, is like the return of like movie star Jennifer Lawrence, yes, um, which I find to be really interesting. And this is just such an interesting kind of role to be her comeback because she's kind of known and celebrated for, I, I, not to say being a dramatic actress, there's a lot of comedy to the roles that she's been Oscar nominated for, um, but kind of being part of an Adam McKay ensemble comedy or just an Adam McKay comedy in general is kind of a unique turn for her. Not unexpected because I think if you know Jennifer Lawrence the personality she's very funny she's very charismatic she's very um like you know funny in her own way but this is such an interesting role to kind of be her comeback because we haven't really seen her play a character like this before um how did you feel about her performance adam i loved her in it i th- and i think you're absolutely right that it's like the return of her as a movie star because it, you, it, both her and leonardo dicaprio um you need to be invested in them very quickly in order for the movie to work because the movie kind of doesn't really waste any time. You like the first scene is her discovering the comet. The second scene is them realizing it's going to hit the planet. And then it's just kind of like just off to the races right away. Like you, like the, the title, the title for the movie comes up after Jennifer Lawrence realizes what she's about to do, which is tell the president of the United States that the world's about to end. 
and uh and she vomits into a in a into a wastebasket and you're tracking her emotional sort of realizations but like she's also numb in a few points and like overwhelmed and that's a that's a you have to be hardwired into that very quickly for the movie to really take off and um i thought she you know she there's very few actors i think who can pull that off in a way that feels like really relatable and she's definitely one of them um she also does anger really well always has it's one of her best modes and this is a movie that is uh very angry and there's a lot of anger in how she's feeling uh about what's unfolding in front of her that makes her feel like she's crazy um so yeah, loved her in, in, enormously. And I think she's very well matched with Leonardo DiCaprio, who's playing very much against type. He's playing a very nebbish, nerdy scientist dude, but he takes to it really well. He like I was sort of like skeptical of like, is a guy this sort of glamorous as a movie star? Yes, he's played on glamorous people before, but they've all had a certain status to them in a weird way. Even in like the departed, even though he's a sort of like scrappy guy. He's still like the guy that's gonna like fight back, whereas, whereas he's playing a like kind of a, a up until this point in his life he's been a loser kind of dude, and he's like riddled with anxiety and riddled with panic and and I thought he would overplay it or would not be believable, but none of that none of that happened. I I really bought into everything that he was doing. I want to dig into the Leo of it all just because. Yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. Like, he he is playing this very, like, dweebish, nerdish character. But you need to have somebody with that movie star charisma because there's a whole thread in this movie about how he becomes the face and he becomes famous. And I think a lot of that obviously has to do um, with misogyny, which is a really, you know, big, big part of the, the Kate storyline. Um, but that wouldn't work unless you had somebody who is so charming and, you know, known for being attractive and known for being a Lothario like Leonardo DiCaprio. So he really does have a really interesting edge to dance on between playing against type, as you said, but also being someone who you can see become um, this probably isn't a, a, a fair comparison, but the Anthony Fauci of this storyline <laughs> where he kind of becomes the breakout star. I think that's totally right. I think that there's a there's a there's a semi intentional uh uh pandemic uh through line through this movie on top of it being about climate change. And I think he plays a real Faucian person. He's like the sort of face of science in that way. Very, very different presentation, but but I think it's I think you're right. I think he's I think that's that's an apt thing. In in making that the Fauci comparison, I'm now thinking about um Mark Rylance's character playing this, um, would we say he's like the Jeffrey Bezos of the Don't Look Up world? Is that like the comparison? He he's this sort of weird combination of Steve Jobs, Jeff Bezos, uh Elon Musk. Yeah. And uh but and then, like, but with its own sort of twist of him being, a, like, completely, you know, I think we, I, I should say that he, like, there's a sort of neurodiversity to his approach. Yeah. So I think that if Meryl Streep is playing, a, like, the female version of Trump, but not really, 
it seems like Mike Rylance is playing the sort of, you know, a combination of all of the tech billionaires that control our lives, but not really, you know? It's very, like, um, I'm not sure if you saw Ready Player One, but he took, like, the character he played in that and just, like, yeah. turned it all the way up, which obviously is, like, the yeah. the, the M.O. In a, in a Adam McKay movie for the most part. There's also a Mark Zuckerberg situation. Like, I just realized there's also a very Mark Zuckerbergian yeah. vibe. For sure. Yeah, I, I would say, um, which I, I think kind of works for that role. I was going to say it almost goes back to what you were saying about the Vice characters as being much more broader and less human. He seems to be the least human character, which I find to be very interesting, especially yeah. given, like, what you said about, you know, these these tech billionaires who control our lives. Like, I think... Ultimately, while McKay is damning so many people, I almost feel like that is the most damning character, it, at least from the way it's written. I think he puts a lot of the blame on on that character for what's going on in the movie. I think he I think his sort of point there, uh, which is not that subtle, is that we are allowing for, you know, these totally, you know, these 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 men who don't think they are connected to the you know who think that they're doing the the best thing for humanity but have no connection to humanity anymore and have and because they're so astronomically wealthy and powerful that they've lost all connection to the you know the real world um that they are and and that those imperatives are causing us to lose sight of what really matters when we talk about climate change or we talk about the pandemic that there are you know that there's a sense of oh but it can make us a lot of money because look at all these great resources that we can exploit even if the exploitation of those resources will literally cause the end of the world i mean that you can't get more sort of directly clearly connected to uh climate change than that i think so to swing back into the timothy of it all um i think it's Yes, because 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 I've been dying to talk about. It. <laughs> Sorry, I, there's there's so many like people in this movie and like threads to pull on, uh, and then Timothy doesn't even like show up until what like ninety minutes into this like two and a half hour movie. I kept being like, I I'm spo- I'm watching this movie to talk about Timothy Chalamet. Is he going to be in like one scene? Is this going to be the shortest podcast episode ever? Because <laughs> I was I was like, when is he going to show up? Yeah, no, uh. It would be a very short podcast if we only wanted to talk about the Timothy of it all. But lo and behold, he does show up kind of just from, you know, seeing set photos and things. I kind of knew he was going to play a character who was involved in the Jennifer Lawrence storyline, which I was really excited about being a Jennifer Lawrence fan. Um, Those kind of set photos of them like making out on top of the car had kind of leaked. And I was like, yes, thank you. Something exactly for me. Um a Timothy Chalamet fan and Jennifer Lawrence fan. So I was very excited about that. Um, But yeah, he doesn't have a huge role in this movie, which, you know, obviously it's an ensemble piece, um, which, you know, it's not that he hasn't done before. I'd say Little Women is an ensemble piece and he plays a pretty large part in that. But this is a much, much more supporting role in a movie that is pretty much all supporting roles, Um, which I find so interesting because I, not to say he's like, above a role like this but it is interesting they cast somebody with so much name recognition in this movie when he isn't in it all that much 
there was a long stretch of the movie where I, when he when he does show up and he basically is like the third act side like you know he's the person that Jennifer Lawrence's character gets to make out with because she doesn't care anymore and he you know he plays this sort of skater kid who recognizes her because she's famous at that point but she's kind of been forsaken by by the government so she's retreated back home she's working in like a a a version of bevmo they recognize her and and they try to like get her like hey come out come out we're gonna go skating and drink beer in the back of the whatever and it's it's meant to sort of illustrate how little she cares now because she's gonna just kind of hang out with the skater punk instead of try to help the save the world and so, you know, she just gets to make out with him. And honestly, you know, if I was Jennifer Lawrence and the world was ending and Timothy Chalamet showed up and was like, hey, do you want to make out? I would say yes. <laughs> I mean, like the worst things that you could sure. do uh, for sure. But you but but as you know, he sticks around as the movie kind of progresses. And I kept being like, why is why did they hire Timothy Chalamet for this? They could have hired any number of of sort of younger hot looking you know young men to play this part it's not until as i think you referenced earlier dane the um the final sort of dinner dinner table sequence where the the comet's definitely going to hit and it's the sort of their last supper together uh and we had established earlier in the movie that he's uh he was born he was raised like evangelical Mm -hmm. right and had sort of found his own way to it, and and what and somebody I think maybe Melanie Linsky's like I guess maybe we should say a prayer I don't know if we should or not, and then he's like I got this, and then he just sort of delivers this this prayer I can't I wish I had written some of it down but it was just beautiful yeah. and he delivers it ju- with such like quiet but perfectly modulated emotion that so it really comes home and that's when i was like oh that's why they hired timothy chamelay because you needed an actor of his caliber to really play both parts you need a guy who would be jennifer lawrence's makeout toy and then somebody who could like bring it home at the very end yeah totally um yeah no you you totally we're we're in complete sync with how we feel about that because i i had the same thought i was like I'm super happy he's here. Like, obviously, I'm excited to see him. I love this guy. I created a podcast about him. Of course, I'm going to be excited to see him. But, like, what is he doing here? Like, it's so, you know, like, from the first scene where they're buying booze and, like you said, they're like, oh, we know you. And they're, like, FaceTiming their friend and he's doing just, like, the, like, young, like, white bro shit, like, throwing up, like, his peace signs and shit. Um, and then, you know, to making out. And then, like you said, they drop, he drops this thing about like, oh, how he actually, he's like, I think he has a line where he says like, oh, well, like, don't tell anyone because it'll like mess with my vibe and my, my aura. But like, I actually am very religious. And it's when they're on the roof and looking up at the sky and when they can finally see the comet with the naked eye. And Jennifer Lawrence is like, oh, holy shit, like, this is going to be it. Like, people are going to finally, like, it's kind, of, it's kind of when her turn comes back to where she goes back to, like, trying to be an activist again. And Timothy, like, just kind of falls to his knees and starts praying. And I don't think, you're right, like, you need an actor like Chalamet 
to have that turn where you believe that this kid is actually religious. He can be this kind of punk skater, but actually have this like other side to him. And then having that callback come back uh, in the final scene where he says the prayer is like so, so powerful from performance to, to kind of go back to what you're saying about this movie, having more humanity than, than vice. The most human moment in this movie is, is that prayer. Like, is that, um, yeah, it just, it just took me by such a surprise that in this larger than life satire, like this final moment was so genuine and, and I'm not a religious person, but I was totally bowled over by, you know, in, in these final moments that that would be the note that McKay chooses to end on. Yeah, I really wish I could remember what he said because I felt like the sentiment behind it felt so apt to so many things that I've been feeling lately about the state of the world. And and it, this is when the movie really kind of got under my skin. That that whole scene really got under my skin because he gives that prayer. Jennifer Lawrence says something like, well, we at least we tried. And then Leonardo DiCaprio says something like, we really had it all, didn't we? Mm-hmm. And there's a sort of fatalism and sort of de- devastation to that, that in some ways, the only other piece of of pop culture that I've experienced this year that feels similar is Bo Burnham's Inside, where there's a sense of like deep, bone deep melancholy for how far gone things have gotten with this sort of feeling of, well, I guess we'll just have to figure out how to get through this. And maybe we won't, but I guess we, but we'll try. And it was just this very, but like, you know, whereas that is, that was a one person alone in their room for 90 minutes. This was, you know, a giant star studded, visual effects like big budget comedy satire drama extravaganza and so the so the impact but the impact was sort of the same for me just i felt kind of gutted at the end no i i I think inside is a really good comparison because it's this it's this idea of like what how, how are we supposed to make anything including art when it feels like the end of the world you know it's like when people went into lockdown and there was this almost like um uh i'll call it like the girl boss hustle culture of okay we're all inside like it's time to finally write that novel it's time to finally like complete this thing and it's like okay who's actually doing that because all i can fathom doing right now is like turning on TV and drinking wine. Like I don't have the emotional capacity to do anything else. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So to, so yeah, I think that inside and don't look up are two, which I know that don't look up was um, obviously it's first and foremost, it's a climate change metaphor, climate change satire really. Um, but it is, it, and it came before COVID, but it, obviously you have to make the comparisons between... I think they, no, they made some of it, and I think they made at least some of it during COVID. I don't think that they... For sure, yeah. I think it was, uh, it was shot, I think it was supposed to start shooting April 2020, and then it got pushed because of COVID. Um, but it, it's just, it's crazy to think how... So yeah, you're right, though. It was written, it, it was intended, I, I get your point now, you, it was intended to be, it was not intended to be commenting on the pandemic because it was written 
largely before the pandemic. Right. But I, it, and I've, 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 I've found this in a lot of things almost in a, I almost feel like if you examine any post nine 11 piece of art, it, there's, a, there's in some way, shape or form, it feels of uh the nine 11 narrative. And I almost feel like post COVID it's hard to watch anything and not find a post COVID, which saying post COVID is ridiculous because it's, in media rest of COVID right now, um, it's hard not to make those comparisons. In some ways, COVID is like weirdly a miniaturized version of the same problems that climate change has, like that has caused climate change to happen. Like a lot of the same factors play into both issues. So, uh, and, and so I, you know, I see how they why they they sort of feel so deeply connected but but dane we have gone i know we're supposed to rate this is <laughs> this is a specific rating but we've we've talked at length now about this movie and about timothy chamelay's performance and we have yet to in any way mention his hair in this movie because it is a like talk about a disaster of epic proportions I don't understand what what they they were thinking. Adam, you've you've called me you've called me on the carpet. You've exposed me for wanting to never ever discuss the travesty that was put on to my beautiful boy's head. Yes. Uh. Okay. Let's 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 rip the bandaid off. Let's talk about it. Um. <laughs> okay. So again, I'll go back to the seeing set photos. I was prepared. I knew. I knew what was going to happen. I'd seen I'd seen the evidence. I still I I was not ready. I was not ready to see the atrocity that they let happen to his gorgeous mane. It is it's not even a wig. It's like extensions. They are like crimped black extensions. Were they extensions? Because I, because he was wearing the hat the whole time. So honestly, it looked like a bad hat wig to me. I think, yeah, I think that was that was my takeaway. Yeah, I think I think you may ha- I think you may be onto something there. the The thing the thing that clicked with me was the scene on the roof where they're laying up, looking up at the stars before they see the comet with their naked eye. He his hair is splayed behind him as they're looking up, and the top half is Chalamet's gorgeous hair. And then here okay. is the crimped atrocity. Um, you know, I, I'm sure the makeup and hair department is full of very talented people. Uh, and I believe that the fish stinks from the head up. So I'm going to blame Adam McKay for the wig. Um, I think it's the reason that he is not seeing heaven. <laughs> yeah, I, it, it, it's very clear that his hair is on top and then it, it's, it's, it's extensions below him. But he is in a hat for so much of the movie that it seems like one of those cheap Halloween costumes that is you put on the hat and the hair is like glued to the bottom of the rim of the hat. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what they were thinking. Um, I, I, I think with his costuming and the hat and the vibe of it all, there's no world in which he doesn't look like the character he was playing. I don't know why they chose to do those extensions. It was a very bizarre creative choice. Um, I, I guess they were trying to, it's weird because they cast an actor who has to be like, you, you need somebody who is, who's believably attractive enough 
for Jennifer Lawrence to be like, okay, yeah, I'll make out with you. But also believably sort of gutter punk enough that you understand that, that she is sinking to a certain depth. Sure. She has she has reached a certain and with Timothy Chamelet, who is you it's really hard to make him look bad. It seems like that was their that was their best they're like, let's what is his what is his most truly like a magical person quality? What what thing does he possess? You know, a lot of people have great bone structure, a lot of people have you know, are like are rail thin. A lot of people are have perfect symmetry. Nobody has hair like Timothy Chamelet. Mm-hmm. And so, what if we fuck up with that? That <laughs> what if we, if we fuck up his hair? That will that'll mess with his whole thing, and that'll that'll underscore that'll underscore that Jennifer Lawrence has is like. Oh, I guess I'll 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 make out with you, I suppose. Sure. That's my that's my best guess. That's that is my most generous read. Yeah. On what was what was happening there. Yeah. I I appreciate how much grace you're giving the creative team there. Um I'm going to go ahead and choose to believe that as well because I think that's how I'm going to sleep at night thinking about that wig. Um and yes, we'll we'll cover it more as we as we rate the hair. But yeah, I just I, I also think that he's he's supposed to be he is supposed to be noticeably younger than Jennifer Lawrence, which he is. He's you know, I think he's probably like seven or eight years younger than her uh, in real life. And, you know, not I don't think he's supposed to be playing like a teenager or anything. I think he's supposed to be in his younger 20s. So it's not like she's like they're they're stealing booze. I think that I th- they're stealing booze. That's well, true. I guess maybe they're supposed to be. I don't know. You know, they were buying booze, though, and they said they couldn't afford it, too. So they were also stealing it. So I guess they must have been at least 21. Right? Yeah. They, Maybe. I, I, I think putting him in, like, the 20 to 22 range in this character is, is yeah. fair. So, you know, it's it's yeah. not a it's not a cradle-robbing illegal situation. He's just, he's supposed to be younger than her. And she's playing a yeah. PhD. I, one of the things, there's two really funny runners in this movie, which I don't think this one is supposed to be funny. I just found it funny. The... The it keeps coming up that she's a PhD candidate, which I think is kind of supposed to underscore that she's not like a doctor yet, and he is. Yeah. Um, which I I've just found funny for whatever reason. So she's probably supposed to be in her late ish twenties. Um, that in the 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 running gag about the general who charged them for the free snacks, I found <laughs> so funny, so funny. Like that that was one of the few beats that were like where they used comedy and they were meaning for you to laugh yeah and uh and she i think she totally sells it i think she she finds the right comic timing there to to keep that thread going for sure two things before we finally jump to the peaches because obviously you're super excited to get to it and i i'm very excited to hear your peach i've been dying to do i i like i wanted to do the peach rating i've been thinking about it i've i've figured out what kind of fun special situation with the Ugh. peaches i might be taking but but i'm so excited to get to it i just want to hit two more things beforehand uh first from the the dinner scene at the end and i i i'm i just want to touch on it because it just popped into my mind um, there's this little bit of dialogue and this little conversation about pie and how it's a store-bought pie. Um, and there's this, this little throwaway line about how it actually, like, tastes better than the homemade pie. And I, I don't, that, that line stuck with me and I didn't really know why. 
And I think it just dawned on me. I think it stuck with me because this is clearly a movie that's talking about consumerism. And there's this kind of cultural backlash to consumerism and big box stores and whatever you want to call it. And I love this little moment of them saying like, you know, actually the store-bought pie is kind of better. Like there's almost this like, it's almost this tongue-in-cheek moment of we're making this big satirical comedy about um, the death of culture and the death of the world. Um, But it's also premiering on Netflix and it costs $75 million to make and it stars a slew of celebrities who are rich beyond rich. So it almost felt like this little kind of like tongue in cheek. Um, But hey, sometimes the store-bought consumerism is good. So that's just one thing I wanted to touch really quick. And then it it made me think about uh, how um, I, I love the balance of all the heartfelt Chalamet religious uh, dialogue he gets. And then in the middle of the grocery store, as they're getting food for this last supper, he screams, I want to say, I fucking love fingerling potatoes. Um, Maybe my favorite line delivery of the year. I thought uh, (laughs) in a moment where Adam Driver is like having an internet moment where he talks about good soup. um, I thought that Timothy Chalamet screaming, uh, I fucking love fingerling potatoes was like, just what I needed. That it'll be the meme of early 2022. Yes, exactly. Um, and then my last thing, just before we get to peaches, uh, curious to know your thoughts on the Ariana Grande performance and the song that is getting Oscar buzz that she wrote with Kid Cudi. I th- I'm good luck trying to perform that song on the Oscars because it's filled with profanity. Um, I uh, I liked it. I felt like the Ariana Grande Kid Cootie stuff was a little too cute by half. Okay. Like that was that was one of the times where it's like, okay, who's she supposed to be? She's supposed to be Ariana Grande because she, Ariana Grande is actually pretty smart. And I would have liked it was one of the it was one of the times where it's like it would have been funnier if you thought that she was an idiot and then she gets on TV and she gets off TV and she turns out she's like brilliantly smart. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, that, that part didn't quite carry over for me the way I was hoping, but the song is very entertaining and she's a once in a lifetime voice. So you can't like at a certain, like on a certain level, she could be singing a really mediocre song and make it sound so much better than it should by any rights sound. Sure. So, uh, but you know, if it does get nominated on the Oscars and they do end up performing those songs on the Oscars. Uh, I, I, the radio edit is going to have to be what they go with because there's no, there's a, a fair number of F-bombs they drop. And I don't think that the uh, Oscars are going to want to have a bunch of bleeps on their show, but I could be wrong. Yeah. The whole time I, I, I thought she was funny. I, I loved the little exchange that she had before they like went on to the show uh, with Tyler Perry and Kate Blanchett. Um, and then this, the whole time I kept thinking, this is our Glinda in the Wicked movie. Uh, yes. I, just, I love exciting. that. Very exciting. All right, let's get to it. Let's get to the peaches. Adam's ready to go. I yes. Know he is. Okay. All right. Um, Adam, first yes. peach rating. We're going to rate the movie from one to five peaches. I want to hear your rating yes. first. Oh, I would probably rate it at three, nearly four peaches. Like three okay. peaches with one peach that's had like a bite taken out of it or bite or two taken out of it. Like not even a half of a peach. We're like three quarters of a peach. Okay. It so... just isn't, it doesn't, it doesn't quite get to the four peach level for me because of some of the quibbles that I've been talking about. 
you know, like if, if those things had been better mended, then I feel like the movie would have really sung. Uh, but, but the, but because it's just quibbles, I don't want to take away like even a half of a peach. So, okay. so that's, that's where I'm at. Got it. Like, Love three, it. So three peaches, three, four, pe- four peaches, but one of them has like a couple bites. Got it. So just like a, a, a four peaches, but one has a hearty Timothy Chalamet biting into the peach you yes. just used to jack off. Got it. Love it. Um, yes. no, yeah. I, I'm with you. I, I'm less creative when it comes. I'm like a good, like. I, I think in, for someone, for speaking for myself, someone who's not numerically like gifted, I like to think in whole and half peaches. So I'm, I'm going to go the full four. Um, yeah, like I said, I just, I really found myself enjoying the film despite everything I was kind of worried going in, the Adam McKay of it all, the kind of satiricalness of it all. Um, yeah, I just, it really sung for me and, and I, I was kind of in the minority, uh, myself will and my boyfriend came out of it and immediately both of them were talking about how uh long it felt and i was like oh my god i didn't even like think about i thought the editing was superb i thought it was a breezy two and a half hours which again i could be in the minority there but um yeah all in all it really worked for me it's 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 a four peaches for me that's i i i totally hear that I totally hear that. Will, I'm curious, how many peaches would you give it? Uh, probably two and a half. Wow. Right down the middle. It didn't, it didn't, it did not hit for me at all. It felt so heavy handed and it, it seemed like this, it felt like a Adam McKay doing a project for himself, not for anyone else. Okay. Yeah. I, I, of, of my party I saw it with, I was like the lone supporter that that was will's take and actually um i to to plug my boyfriend's letterboxd <laughs> uh casey had a really funny review of don't look up i believe his letterbox review if i'm if i'm not paraphrasing too much was don't look up is the satirical equivalent of charlie Kloss looking camp right in the eye which uh for those of you who may not know there's a very infamous tweet where charlie Kloss is uh, right before the camp Met Gala, is, is she tweeted, looking camp right in the eye uh, with her little, like, compact held up. And it's, like, all you can see is her eye. And then she gets on the red carpet, and it's a really basic, like, whatever dress. So just clearly missing the point of camp. Um, yeah. So so to plug Casey's, who's now in the room, his letterbox, follow him for more of those great uh, reviews and, uh, and and thoughts on the films I drag him to see um great so follow thanks for thanks for chiming in um (laughs) great so so adam is a uh four peaches but one's got a a hearty little bite out of it out of five and i'm a four out of five let's jump to timothy's performance out of five peaches adam where are you on timothy's performance it's hard i guess i'm gonna have to just sort of grade grade on a curve here because it's there's it's really a in some ways just a very basic part that then has this like moment where you absolutely have to nail it 100% for it to work. And because he does, I'm going to go four peaches. Four. It's like, yeah, I think I, 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 you know, the five peaches is when you're like, like when you're like, it's sort of like a dune or a comedy by your name. Like that's my, like, that's my gold standard here. This is, this is not, I, I would say, the deepest richest role he's ever been handed 
but because he does nail that last moment, it's a four peaches for me. Yeah, no, I I think that's that's totally fair. I'm I'm gonna go four and a half just because I I on one <laughs> hand, <laughs> is that expected? Is it is it? I mean, it's no, it's like there. I feel like there's like a. Sorry, I I interrupt you. No, no, please, please. No, please. no, I I know. Okay, I'll, I I want to hear your thoughts, but I'm gonna go four and a half because. I, I, on one hand, I totally agree with you. I think that to deliver a five out of five performance, you have to have the screen, like this almost, you know, if not to say this is going to be like submitted for best supporting actor, but he almost doesn't get enough screen time to even qualify for like a best supporting actor nomination. Um, but in order to kind of hit the upper echelon of the the five peaches, the coveted five peaches that this podcast has, you know, so eloquently proclaimed to be to be the measure of success, um, you can't. They, they, I don't think he's given the ability to go full five. But I'm gonna go four and a half because I agree with you. I think that while it's a small role, he ends up having such an impact and such he's such an emotional crux of the film in an unexpected way that I, yeah. I found myself very taken with it. Um, but I also agree with you that to go full five would uh, kind of oversell the amount of work he has to do. Um, and I also just don't want to be, I don't want to be one of those Timothy fans. That's just like throwing fives everywhere because I love him. <laughs> that's totally fair. <laughs> uh will because you you got to chime in on film what where would you where would you throw uh the peaches at for timothy's performance well i'd probably say four he does his job very well very effectively but doesn't have much to do so moving on to attractiveness and i want to make it very clear before we give our ratings here there is a separate rating for hair with that in mind adam be very where do you fall on Timothy's attractiveness in Don't Look Up, one to five peaches. Well, so here's the thing, is that I feel like I have to rate this on uh, a scale of Timothy Chamolet attractiveness. Because I feel like if you're going to rate him on a scale of general attractiveness, it's all fives every time. There's, sure. you know, so like that's just not, that's just not fair. It's not, it, it sort of, de it defeats the purpose of the rating. So with that preamble sure. said, I'm going to go three. I feel like he's wearing he's wearing uh, not particularly well fitting clothes, very baggy, very misshapen. Um, even the hair aside, he's got that bad hat on. Um, I, he's also, I think, shot in such a way as to make him seem younger and sort of more mm -hmm. juvenile, which is good for the movie, but is not is you know I it's a bit of a turnoff for me. So, uh, you know, <laughs> so yeah, so I'd, I'd say three. That's fair. Yeah. I, I'm actually with you. I, 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 I'm going to agree. It's a three, uh, for all the reasons you said. And I, I think that's a great point. I think you have to grade it. There is an element to grading the attractiveness that's going to be influenced by the character for better or for worse. And I think this is definitely a case where, by being a three on the attractive scale, he's actually understanding the assignment in a way that a five wouldn't be. So I think that it is, this is in no way, shape, or form a critique. I think a three is a good place to put 
uh, I, I can't believe we haven't brought this up yet. I was going to say a three is a good place to put the character of Yule. His name is Yule, as yeah. in Yule Log. That's also, yeah, I can't believe we didn't bring that up either, is that the character's name is Yule. That's that's ridiculous. They don't really make a big deal of it in the movie. So it's like I, I didn't really realize it until I looked it up later. And I was like, what? Yeah, because they you, you don't you don't hear his name. And then as he comes into the house after Melanie Linsky has decided to forgive Leonardo DiCaprio's character, he just briefly says, my name's Yule, which I, I kind of bought as like, a OK, this is supposed to be like a Gen Z kind of punk type character. He's going to have a weird name, whatever. But I, I know in leading up to the film, in looking at like IMDb and, you know, obviously taken with many grains of salt looking at Wikipedia, his name had been listed as Quentin. So I was like, oh, this character's name is Quentin. But then I'd seen rumblings in the Timothy fandom of the character's name being Yule. And I was like, that just, that seems ridiculous. So when they actually said his name was Yule, I, on one hand, um, his name is so inconse- inconsequential, I didn't really overthink it. Um, but then later looking back, I'm like, that is just Yule. Like what a, what a bizarre character name. What is, yeah, very strange. Okay. Very strange. Will? Yeah, Will, where are you on attractiveness? Oh, I mean, it'd have to be a three. Yeah. I mean, they're they're working hard to make him look like a child, and it's not a good look. <laughs> All right. I... I've never, I am a, I am a completist. I, I like order. I am a type A person. I like things to happen as they should. I have never been more tempted to say we should skip the hair rating for, for, for sanity's sake, but we have to do it. We have to talk about it. I'm scared to ask, but I'm going to do it. Adam, where are you on the hair? One to five beaches. So I've been thinking a lot about this. Okay, so for the Dune episode, did he did he get two or three Emma Tom, Thompson peaches, like bonus peaches? Yeah, I think it's I think it's I think it's two sixes and two, two fives. Two sixes and two fives. Yeah. Dune. yeah. So I'm gonna take those peaches back as <gasps> punishment. Oh no! Oh no! For how bad this hair is. Taking those because though because this that hair cause what it turns out is those emma thompson peaches were were rotted and so they need to be thrown out so that's oh, no strike number one it's gonna get even worse <laughs> and then i'm gonna rate it a single pit oh no not even a peach not even a, not even one peach it's a pit Again, it's a pit. I, again, we're 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 grading on the on the spectrum of Timothy. Oh, I mean, it does make high school haircut look good. It does. It makes the bowl cut from the king look good. It does. Adam has stormed into the podcast, rescinded the Emma Thompson peaches, which I mean, I wish I had more of a fight in me to 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 say they need to be reinstated. But but Adam, you're so right. It is it is a pit of a peach uh again because i'm a numbers person i'll go with one peach just because in my mind that's the lowest we can go but yeah it's it's bad hair it's bad bad hair and 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 i in every fiber of me wants to yell and scream and say but in that scene on the roof you can see his real hair it's there it's still perfect but you're right the goodwill that the hair got from dune it couldn't survive 
It couldn't survive. Don't look up. There's just no way. There's nope. no way it was going to happen. Nope. Nope. Stood no chance. Will, where are you on the hair? I think I'll, I'll split the difference and go with half. <laughs> half a peach? That, yeah, the half peach. And that lives in, in, in that vague space that maybe, maybe it'd be better if the hat came off and he could shake it out. But uh, it's, uh, it's rough. Yeah. I I don't do a thorough job keeping tr- because the because the peaches are meant to be fun and of course they're fun we take them seriously of course but because I don't keep a thorough record of how many peaches things actually get I can't quantify this with facts. Uh, if a fan would like to make a wiki, that'd be great. Great, yes, I need chasing Chalamet stats because I don't remember how low I rated the hair in something like the Adderall Diaries, which is very reminiscent of the hair here um but i i feel as if given given uh adam's rotted out peach my one single singular peach and will's half a peach it has to be the lowest we've ever rated hair which is just so sad for so many reasons especially for a movie that like of the three people here two of us very much liked it's very sad to say the hair fell so short but but... you know there's some times where i think bad hair causes damage to the movie will might believe that that is the case for this film but like maybe maybe one of the reasons he didn't like it is because the hair was so bad oh no (laughs) but but in this case as we've been discussing the bad hair plays to the characters like plays to the story's strengths it's supposed to be bad and there are other instances where you see a character's hair and you're like this is this is a true disaster for the movie because it's so dist- it's it's it is distractingly bad in a way that it's not supposed to be. But this, I think, is intentionally terrible hair. So we're okay. not. So my pit really, in some ways, it's like you can you could just get that pit bronzed, and it's like an award on its own. Like it's 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 its own <laughs> sort of like its badness is so absolute that it's it's its own achievement. It's it's the camp equivalent of the peaches. It is hopefully the seed that will one day grow into another uh, Timothy performance with the beautiful hair we know him to have, and we can reinstate his honorary Emma Thompson peaches that we have that we have so uh, uh, disgracefully taken away from him, and and much deservedly, I will say, Adam, I rescinded. They have been rescinded, and, and I I believe in his ability to take them back, but for now. Well, Adam, I it was so great to have you on the show. Thank you for braving the solitary Alamo Draft House screening <laughs> of Don't Look Up on on your day off from your from your busy busy job at Variety. Um, it, where can people find you on the internet? I can be found on Twitter at at Adam B Very, and that is spelled A D A M B as in boy, V as in Victor, A R Y. Uh, and you can find all of my writing uh, currently uh, at Variety on Variety.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at the Dane McDonald. The show is on Twitter and Instagram as well. On Twitter, we are Chalamet Chasing. On Instagram, we are Chasing Chalamet. Uh, you can email us at ChasingChalamet at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Please consider sharing this podcast. Please consider giving us a rating and a review. Uh, we'd love that. 
Chasing Chalamet is written, hosted, and produced by me, Dane McDonald. The show is also produced and edited by Will Bybee. Our theme music is by Jacob Horn. You can hear more from him and his band, the Jacob Horn Trio, on Spotify, Apple Music, and Bandcamp. Our cover art was designed by Jessica Deal. You can find more of her work at jessicadeal.com. Deal is spelled D-E-A-H-L. And until next time, later. <laughs>